RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. And welcome to another episode of RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. Today, I have Dr. Fulmer, who is a hospitalist in Florida. He's been on the podcast before. He was actually my second guest. He runs the account on Instagram, Dr. Wars Games. Um, he always does the great cartoons, um, which have now turned into more teaching cartoons, which are actually my favorite. And then of course we have the lovely bedside rounds, um, Michael, um, who is also working as a hospitalist on the West coast. We just got together the three of us because we like each other and we are friends (laughs) and, um, we just, wanted to chit chat. It was just kind of like more of a check-in. We didn't really have a topic. We originally had a topic, um, but we are going to save that actually. So we got together and we just kind of talked about like what's going on with our lives. A heads up, this was recorded in late November. Um, I'm working on the timelines. I'm really sorry about that. Um, I'm going to speed it up so they're a little more current, but I didn't want to throw this episode away just because it was um, like a month or two ago, which normally wouldn't be a problem. But of course, during COVID, it's like crazy because everything's changing so much. So we just, we talked about heparin versus Lovenox. We talked about, do, do we feel seen or heard by the general public as healthcare providers? We talked about the difference between DOs and MDs because Jim Fulmer is a MD and Michael is a DO. Um, we talked about FIG's marketing campaign disaster, and I went on a path of conspiracy theories about that. And um, we also talked about COVID disaster planning, which um, both of them are on committees for their hospital. So we just talked about kind of the pathway, not specifically to their hospital, but in general of you know, if COVID ever got the worst, worst, worst case scenario nationwide, what would we be doing? Which is a very interesting scenario that I hope we never have to see. Um, so anyway, I hope you guys are doing great and enjoy this episode. Here we go. Okay, let's get started. So first of all, you guys, thank you very much for joining me. I'm super excited to have you. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Michael. I run the Instagram and other social media accounts called Bedside rounds with a Z, not the bedside rounds with an S that is a actual successful podcast and Twitter account. I started out making medical memes and then branched out into what I call the three E's, education, entertainment, empowerment. Lately, you know, trying to carry the torch for a lot of my colleagues in terms of bringing up racial injustices and holding the line there and 
most of November, I've been reminding people how much Christopher Columbus sucks, actually. <laughs> yeah, I see that in your, it says BRZ Christopher Columbus sucks, sucks smiley right. face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm Jim. I'm the uh, Instagram owner of Dr. Ward's Game. And the reason I'm a hospitalist, I've been a hospitalist for 20 years. And the reason I have that name is because the, the reason I started is because I made up a card game, which is on my profile, now selling on Amazon <laughs> for Christmas. And I drew, I'm also a cartoonist, so I drew a lot of the characters in the card game. And some of the characters came out in my account, which is now basically all a cartoon account. So I do medical cartoons, and I've recently branched out into doing more educational cartoons that are, have to do with the medicine. There was a long time that I just did, you know, kind of one-off jokes and stuff like that, and just commentary, but now it's branched out into educational. There are 10 panels, a lot of them, and it requires a lot of research and stuff like that to get, to get everything in. Yeah, I love your cartoons though. They're awesome. The educational ones are my favorite. They're a lot of doing a lot more work. They're a lot more work. Yeah, yeah. I was posting every other day until I started doing these, and now it's like twice a week is all I can do. Yeah, sense. it's a lot. But I was like brushing up on acid base balance like crazy. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, this is great. <laughs> I just spent all afternoon on DVT prevention. Nice. Yeah, that'll test coming out tomorrow. Very good. Oh, all right. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> Speaking of which, we get these patients constantly. We get them and it's just like, you know, I work for a teaching hospital, so it's just part of the admission protocol. They always order heparin for everybody. And like, what's your opinion about ordering sub-Q heparin Q8 for a patient that's ambulatory? There, if You have to measure the risk versus the bleeding, the clot risk versus the bleeding risk. If they... If they don't have any clot risk, and that's ambulatory, young person, no comorbidities, there's the risk-benefit doesn't favor using any sort of anticoagulation. That's one of my pet peeves mm-hmm. is people, you know, who are there over, uh, for observation, they're in and out, and they're putting on heparin three times a day. And the, the evidence yeah. also favors Lovenox anyway. If you're going to pick something, there's a slight favor of Lovenox over heparin. Yeah. Heparin must be cheaper, I'm guessing. Anoxaparin, excuse me, (laughs) not using brand name. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if heparin is, well, okay, maybe heparin is cheaper, but. It's Lovenox or anoxaparin has become cheaper over the long run. But in some some places, I I think they still use heparin because of the expense. My understanding is the. uh, We use heparin. Remember that critical shortage of heparin we had like a year ago? I don't think we ever really fully recovered from that. So I was kind of, for a while, it was something that I was hitting on to kind of tell people to use less heparin. Well, the evidence favors not using it anyway, yeah. except for morbid obesity and, and maybe end-stage renal disease. Yes, but even down to end-stage renal disease, we have renal dosing. and Exactly. Um, you know, nephrologists will use Lovenox still in their yeah, stage renal patients. So. Yeah, 30, 30 milligrams instead of 40. Yeah, chronic clearance <laughs> less than 30 is 30. 
Easy to remember. Yeah, that's how I remember. (laughs) And the tricky thing, Jim, I don't know if this happens for you with pharmacists in your hospital, but, you know, the weight-based dosing as you get higher up in the BMIs, like the 60 a day and then the 40 twice a day. And even, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had people big enough to get 60 twice a day just for a DVT prophylaxis, but. I think we have. Yeah. over The scales didn't measure them. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> they said they were 500 pounds, so we believed them. <laughs> That's funny. I was just going to mention from a nursing perspective, I'm trying to think, I can't think of exactly the syringes. I was just trying to Google it. But the the syringes for Lovenox, I don't know if you guys give it ever or if it's usually nursing, right? Yeah, for us, it's always nursing. So it has like a bubble in it and the bubble's supposed to be in it. And a lot of new grads will like expel the bubble, but it needs to, it needs it to like actually hold the medicine in there. And like a common issue I have with residents is they order Lovenox that's not the syringes. Like there's, you know, pre-made syringes with certain, you know, milligrams and they'll order like a dose in the middle of the two syringes. And so like, then I'm supposed to like expel the medicine. It doesn't work that way. It's very (laughs) difficult to measure because it has an air bubble in it. And I'm just like, they're getting all or nothing kind of like, honestly, if they're ordering it, they shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I think it's heparin is in units, but um, yeah. But for the Lovenox, the Lovenox comes in a pre, yeah. 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 There's so many point. things that nurses do that are just I have no idea yeah. that they have to do it. Yeah. And they have there there're just so many pressures that nurses have to do and I'm 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 really an awe of nurses. Yeah. So maybe let's just make this a consensus statement because heparin is like three times a day and it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So for the sake of patient comfort, nursing convenience and also the data favors it. If you're going to choose one, go for an oxaparin. Yes, for DVT prophylaxis. I agree with that. Consensus statement. Nursing <laughs> agrees too. You don't have to draw it up either. It's way easier. Nice. Yeah. And even this is something I didn't know before the research for the cartoon, but there really hasn't been any difference between heparin twice a day and three times a day in multiple trials. Really? I had heard maybe from previously, maybe 10 years ago, there was a comparison with twice a day in placebo and there was no difference but i don't think that stood up over time wow that's so if you're going to use heparin you can use twice a day and get away with it right right yeah oh my god but use lovenox instead all right we we hate heparin okay we hate sub-q heparin how about that even (laughs) okay even therapeutic anticoagulation Mm -hmm. it's like for a heparin drip unless like a specialist is demanding it we can just use sub-q lovenox at the therapeutic dose too like Exactly. One milligram mm-hmm. per kilogram twice a day. I don't know day. about your ER, but every, you know, where, where I am, it's, they always start on IV heparin. I'm going, why? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason. It's, I think for, it's for, a for habit. PE anyway. Yeah. Everyone just says start a heparin trip. Yeah. It's like we a always habit. do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. We should make, I, I know there's other topics, but let's just acknowledge that in some surgical procedures, Lovenox is more troublesome than someone being on heparin. So, Let's just take the pre-op surgical world out of it, but otherwise. Yeah, I think we got to only concentrate on medical. Yeah. Surgical, there's so many variables, and even cancer and things like that, Mm -hmm. you know, spinal anesthesia, et cetera. When I introduced myself, I didn't mention that I was actually an internal medicine doctor. Oh, yeah. I think... About to be a cardiologist. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so, too. too. 
Yeah. yeah. Dan Dan applied actually too. He he didn't get that many interviews. It's a tough year this year with Zoom and everything. Can we acknowledge how many people have partners or close family members that just blatant disregard for any any public health guidance? It's, they don't get it, it seems to so wide even in my family, it's just it's I get so many messages about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so do I. So we know what's coming, you guys. Yeah, it's gonna in be two weeks. End. I'm, I'm really, I'm worried about it. Mm-hmm. Could Halloween have anything to do with it? With the current stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so Thanksgiving is going to be astronomical. crowded in my neighborhood. Yeah. 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 Everybody was wearing a mask, though. That's good. I'm glad there were masking. Halloween I'm surprised. Masks. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the kids were wearing masks. Yeah. Freddy Krueger mask. That's funny. It's absolutely crazy. I was giving out, I was giving out candy with a gutter shoot. <laughs> That's funny. You were where were you above or? I, I I was above and I would put it down the gutter shoot and they would would like land on the on the ground and then go oh. That's a cute <laughs> idea. That's actually more fun in my opinion. It, it was. I might do it next year. Yeah, that's cute. We might be dealing with this next year. Yeah. I think. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I heard something really scary. It was a, I think it was an infectious disease doctor. He was like doing a podcast and he said something along the lines of like, we get these events actually more frequently than we realize. We, we have like a epidemic, like about every 10 years, Ebola, SARS, you know, polio, AIDS, all this stuff. But we get these pandemics like every 100, 150 years, like this happens. And he said, like, usually it takes about four years for everything to go back Mm. to normal. Yeah. Well, I was explaining this to my therapist, actually, because he was trying to ask me, like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And I was saying, like, with science, we might be able to break this, you know, earlier than the natural course of prior centuries. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we we really have a, a shot at having a good summer, you know, but it's going to depend on like, you know, these people that say they're interested in getting a vaccine to actually get it. It's going to depend right. on the vaccine holding up and being true. And next next year, flu season, maybe flu COVID season again, even mm-hmm. with the vaccine. So, yeah, I, I think know. that it sounds like people are more ready to do vaccines so much faster because of genetics and gene mapping and from what I've read and heard, you know, they were ready for this already. Mm-hmm. You know, they already had basically the, the technique of making the vaccines and that's why it's come out so fast. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so if another one comes out, you know, with a different structure, all they have to do is, you know, get the genetic mapping of it and then do the same sort of thing. So I think, you know, maybe as time goes on, we can get faster and faster to respond to these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's kind of amazing. It is, but it's so emotional. It doesn't make me want to be a lab scientist, though. No. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's just the, the the whole time these these anti-science people, this has been their whole thing, right? Is that, oh, they're trying to force us to take a vaccine. Well, now what? Now we're going to ask them to take a vaccine. They're not going to do it. Yeah. But unlike the mask conversations where people talk about personal choice, like I think this is a little bit closer to personal choice where Definitely. 
it really is more that you're able to protect yourself. It would, sure would be great if we could get to herd immunity, but even if we can't, it might go the way of the, the flu shot that we get every year where we're taking it to protect others, but you know, also there's a percentage of benefit to ourselves too. So I'm just as angry as I am that the way that this has played out with healthcare workers just really feeling abused throughout this entire process. And then now hearing that we are so-called prioritized for the vaccine, but to us, it just sounds like the next thing that is forced on us Mm -hmm. in addition to everything else, you know, like that's on my mind every single day. But you mean I'm having s- the vaccine being first in mind for the vaccine? Although yeah, I'm not sure that's healthcare actually workers are at least what they are reporting in terms of vaccine availability. Top down messaging is that healthcare workers will be in the first group to get the vaccine. Right, but, but that Bob, that 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 worries you. It's you know I think it's okay, but I don't like the way that feels for the collective healthcare workers in this country because we have just been told to do so many shitty things. I, I'm saying we, but Jim and I, you know, you and I, we're mostly protected from this. It's mostly the people that have to go in and out of rooms and like there's higher risk of mask failure and all that, and you know, PPE concerns and stuff. I'm thinking about the nursing staff and everyone else that's frequently in and out of bedside, but 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 I'm not sure I understand what's. Are you worried that it'll, the vaccine, the first vaccines will be faulty, or what? What's the concern? I, I'm not sure I understand. Okay, so it's not that I am necessarily concerned. I am carrying the collective anger and frustration of this being the next thing that healthcare workers are being asked to do, for the sake of the well-being of our of our country's people, which is now we have to be the the first line to receive a vaccine when we don't know outside of phase three trials what things are like. We don't know who's getting weird issues six months from now, although I don't expect that. It's it's this feeling of the lack of choice when we've already had so much lack of choice. We have and to I'm protect we, but them when maybe you don't feel like the public really protected us. I just want to make sure Somebody is saying how shitty it is for the bedside healthcare workers. And so the vaccine for a lot of people, and I've, I've gotten a lot of people affirming this to me on my account, they feel this way too, which is, this is just like the next thing that's being forced on us. And not that people are against vaccines. There's just so much anger about the lack of choice. I don't think people outside of healthcare understand what healthcare workers go through. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I think it's, a, it's nearly impossible to understand what we do and what we go through, mm-hmm. even if you want to. I mean, even if you're clapping for the healthcare heroes. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're... And even yeah. if you feel very empathetic with your healthcare worker, you know, legions. Even if you love mean, a healthcare worker, you know. Exactly. I, I just don't think they can really understand what we go through. Mm-hmm. Unless maybe people in customer service or I don't know. Yeah, some, some other some essential other... worker in a high risk, mm-hmm. you know, person facing mm-hmm. close contact situation. It's, it's a, I mean, other customer service people understand the customer service aspect, but then there's the added I'm sick aspect. Yeah. Which no one else but us experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's hard for them to really, you know, I think they want to, the people that are clapping for us want to be empathetic with us and we want them to understand us, but I'm not sure they, they ever will. Yeah. The, the people that I have spoke to that are kind of in my life that are like questioning, masking, things like that. People, mainly people I know from like high school or college. And I really pleaded with them, especially in the beginning to like really take this seriously. And, you know, they didn't, they very much separate me and that idea of clapping for me with their idea about these other things. They don't intertwine them at all. They're completely separate issues for them. Like, no, I applaud you and I I want you to be safe, but I have a personal choice if I'm going to wear a mask. They don't understand that they're intertwined at all. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't well, know. let's also just, <laughs> I'm not going to mention the guy's name and he's not the only one. Yeah. Because these people don't deserve any airtime. Yeah. But those people with medical training that are using their platform of being educated to deepen misinformation, mm-hmm. it's it's a unique form of karma that is against them and the harm that they are doing, not just to everybody around them, but to all their fellow healthcare workers. It's a really unique form of betrayal that is is going to be hard to forget it's really really not okay yeah so how come in the uh group dm thread that the three of us have that you made mm-hmm. it's called like my most disfavorite MDs? mds ever yeah, yeah. Be- because it's true but i'm not an md Oh, <laughs> and it's ironic because actually you and I said that if we did a one-on-one, we would talk about uh, osteopathic medicine too. <laughs> uh, you're not allowed on this podcast because it's our NMD podcast. Yeah, kicking you off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I didn't even think about it. I just think of you guys as But that's all why the I brought same. it up. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, yeah. To, to me, it's like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But this training is so similar. Yeah. No, like you guys have better physical, you know, physical manipulative yeah. training. I if, guess. if we do that, I, you know what? I honestly, I think we're more comfortable going to the bedside and like putting a hand on someone's shoulder and like just connecting and kind of like channeling that healer part of a physician. Mm-hmm. And when I say we're more comfortable, I am generalizing, but the reality is, for four hours a week, every week of the first two years of medical school, we have osteopathic workshops where we actually pair up and we have our hands on each other doing manipulation. And so it's just something unique. And like, if you're in an allopathic medical school, you're not getting that opportunity literally every week for hours to have a hand on somebody. So I think it just builds a certain sense of we have one hour of a nutrition course. Abby, the reason I wanted to bring it up was this, that that's how not a big deal it is, that physicians are just physicians. And like whether they're DO background in medical school or MD background, and even we have some MBBS people that practice in this country too, like from other countries. There are trash MDs and there are trash DOs and they're really mm-hmm. good ones from each field too. But yep. there's no like looking at the letters and like you just cannot judge how good or bad somebody is. 
depending on which medical school. So no, I don't, I don't think, you know, from the MD perspective, I don't think I, I don't. And I don't think my colleagues think anything of it. I mean, I know that we have DOs, but I don't even pay attention to who's a DO and who isn't. Yeah. I mean, they're all physicians to me. Yeah. That was going to be my question. Like, do you guys even notice the, like, I, I don't even notice it. I mean, it says DO. That's the only way I know it's, it says DO on your name tag. Mm-hmm. I know. Even it. after I've seen it, I don't, I do, like, I it's don't nice. even remember necessarily who in my group is a DO. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. Because I am like the physician minority as a DO. So that's kind of like a chip on my shoulder. Like, it, you, when someone says something shitty. Do you think DOs are looked, at, looked on as, you know, lesser? I, I don't think they are, yeah. at least from physicians. Well, not from you. I mean, they're wrong. But, you know, you go to certain academic places and you uh, sometimes you can't even break in as an applicant if you have a DO mm. background. My don't. classmate who graduated ASCOM 2015 with me is the first ever cardiology fellow with a DO background at OHSU mm. in Portland. Mm. The first one ever. And you think about how many decades they've had training programs there, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And you can believe the th- things that he had to do to get himself in there. But yeah, there's stigma, but it's like... It's MD elitism. It's not like anything else. And this is just, it's, it's the typical thing where if there's one group that has control over a certain thing, some of them don't want to give it up and share. That's it. And that, that plays out MDDO. It plays out physician and nurse practitioner, everything else, all the way down the line. It's just there's some degree of elitism that some people have. So I I do carry that, Jim, because I want to know who's MD and who's DO. Mm-hmm. But after that, I don't think like, oh, somebody's going to be better or worse for it. So I think it probably depends on where you work, you know, and what, what institution you're in. Yeah, somewhere. but it's hard to put it down because once you've experienced it, then you kind of want to have a little bit of armor up at all times to protect mm-hmm. yourself from something you may not expect. From yeah, one of your colleagues, because it's happened before, you know, and it it feels shitty if you're totally blindsided by somebody. Yeah. Let me let me ask you guys something. I mean, the whole reason why we're talking about this, right, is because, well, there. Were, I mean, there's been many things this year, right? I mean, there God, was the it thing. It feels with, like a year ago, but yeah, it was like what six weeks ago or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was Jeez. first the thing with Trump's doctor, and they Sean were, Conley. Yeah, Sean Conley. Yeah. yeah, and they who's like the most Irish name I ever heard in my life. And then he also the thing with figs also. Oh, yeah. Remember God. that? No one cares about that yeah. anymore. And that's funny too that you're here, Jim. Which is hilarious. Yeah, because yeah. Jim always hated figs, so that's pretty you funny. Oh uh, no, I, I that's a, that's such a misconception. Okay. I don't hate figs okay. products uh-huh. at all. I think figs products are great. What I what I've made fun of in my you know, and it's in my highlights are the promotions, mm-hmm. which I find very, you know, annoying and sort of nauseating. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, they are trying to ingratiate themselves to healthcare workers. And I don't think they really know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Although they must, because they certainly have a lot of people, their, their marketing campaign is certainly working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, I, I, there's nothing wrong with figs products perfect abby take that what he just said clip it and then 
the thing that he said like a minute ago where he said, I think Fig's products are great and just clip those side by side and then take the rest of it out and that's just post the, it by itself. And that's the commercial for this episode too. I'm going to be like, look, he flipped. Jim Fulmer. He lo- yeah, he loves Figs. Figs ambassador. Yeah, Figs yeah. ambassador. Yeah. Oh Marketing consultant. I don't even wear scrubs. <laughs> I, actually, I, actually I only of- wear scrubs. I don't wear anything. I don't wear scrubs. I, I mean, I, so figs can't get at me. <laughs> I have figs. I'll be honest with you. I have figs. I did a, a story about how they really don't fit women who are not, you know, straight up and down. So that they don't, the tops work okay. The bottoms do not work for me. And so I always, and I just think the whole ambassadorship is funny too, because first of all, these people are not getting paid. Like in general, they're not getting paid. And, That's and they sign an agreement that they're not even allowed to work with other people too, which is yeah. That that's one of the things I object to. They're really using healthcare workers to you know basically sell their product for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you get somebody with you know fifty thousand followers and he they wear scrubs, a fig scrubs on there, and they post it, there's your fifty thousand followers that get free. Uh, free ad promotion from figs definitely and then you multiply that times you know 500 people yeah it's a lot of people you're influencing do you think that the ad was calculated to generate controversy i don't know any in any way you want to take it do you think you it was like int- intentional aimed at getting publicity by well i don't think so no i think it was no because it was it was so negative. I so think I think they're that clueless. They're that clueless. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Which agree. is what bothers a lot of people. Yep. Because we're like, how do you not know the soul and character of a healthcare worker in 2020 to put that shit up there mm-hmm. and like feel good that that's going to create marketing mm-hmm. and sell more product? Well, they were probably accurate that it would it would all fall away. Right. After and now, like nobody even thinks about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. They're still, so that, buying, they're still buying the product. So that makes me wonder if they knew they could they could bear that type of fallout. If it was a nurse, it would have probably been very different for them. But I wonder they did it with a nurse too. No, I know it was a male nurse though. So I wonder if there is a disparity there that it was a do and it was a female do. You know that that's that's different than a female nurse, right? Yeah. I think uh, there are so many unacceptable things we're hearing about on a daily basis lately. It's just, it's hard to nail down and achieve the appropriate consequences of the things that is being done that's not okay. So it's, I, I think we wouldn't, in, in different times, it would be different. We had an election that was just absolutely insanely chaotic, you know? It's like all people can think about. And then COVID is off the charts again. Like I'm scared about COVID the way I was back in March mm-hmm. as I was learning about what's happening in Italy and just back to projecting how bad it's going to be again. Yeah. My, my, my thing about figs, I'll just be completely honest with you. As a woman who has faced sexism since I was 11 years old, I was surprised at the surprise. I was surprised that people thought figs could be capable of sexism especially because it's run by two females oh my god they were so shocked really you're surprised this shit happens constantly it happens all the time it happens in private it happens in public it happens all the time 
I was not surprised. It can happen from women. It's, it's a lot of women. I mean, it's women attack women. That's part of, you know, the patriarchy. <laughs> but to portray a female in a healthcare role as being so aloof that they don't realize that they're holding a book upside down. My point is that the fact that anyone came up with the idea and it made it through any number of decision-making barriers to finally be pushed out publicly yeah, like that, all those people are. Implicit. It doesn't surprise me. I'll just be honest. It just it didn't surprise me that that could have happened. I don't yeah. know. I'm not even sure what their point was with that ad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what they were trying to get to. I don't either. I don't either. And the, it, and she's wearing pink. Like it's very calculated. To me, it looks very calculated. Like I don't well, know. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm sure it was calculated, but I don't think they expected the response that they did. I think they were going for a. Someone who doesn't want to be taken too seriously, like whimsical, lighthearted sort of like yeah. product. Yeah, like baby llamas. <laughs> Which they love. Which they love and uh, baby ducks. and Yeah. Yeah. The cutesy Blue. thing. Just yeah, spectacularly dumb from a marketing standpoint. <laughs> yeah. Like I was telling, remember not. Jim, we did that uh, Instagram live and I was saying this, like, you couldn't have picked a worse time in a generation to fuck with healthcare workers. Yeah. Like this is not the time. We are mad all the time, all the time. <laughs> We're never not mad. Like leave us alone, you know, stop making it worse. Fix. Don't poke the bear. Yeah. Fix. Yeah. I am the bear. Don't poke me. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? There's nothing. At the end of the day, the ambassadors supported them. Even people who speak out against feminism continue. Even men who say that they want to be supportive of women who experience sexism, they still made excuses. At the end of the day, it it comes down to everyone's best interests, right? And those ambassadors still want to be ambassadors. And people still want the product, so they're going to just bury it. No, actually, what I meant was, what are we going to do about being mad all the time as healthcare workers? <laughs> I'm still mad over here. See me? <laughs> <laughs> Jim, I, I have plans. My memory is long. And I'm just not forgetting. So... Well, I'll be curious yeah. what the plans are. You won't, I'm sure you won't reveal them. The thing is, it's like this. When I am at the destination, I will know the feeling that I have arrived. I just don't know the, mm. exactly the path. Mm. So I'm kind of generally wandering in the direction of positioning myself as someone who can be a difference maker, not just in a one-on-one -on -one situation at the bedside with a patient, but connected to larger system related and, you know, healthcare workers in general and that kind of thing. I, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I have been blessed with the ability to generate some audience just because of who I am and what I think. So that's not going to be wasted. I'm continuously moving and adapting and evolving towards at some point, you know, taking a big stand here and there and making a difference. So that's what I'm doing about it. Well, you're already got a great head start. Thanks. Yeah, I, it's weird. I, I didn't expect it. But, you know, all three of us really kind of unexpectedly ended up with uh, a platforms of influence, I think, just knowing the both of you. No one really made a goal to, like, generate a following and, like, be a culture-driving 
you know, healthcare voice, I don't think, right? I I wasn't thinking that. I was just going to draw cartoons <laughs> to try to get a sell a card game. Yeah. <laughs> but now it's it's just become like this this thing that's just kind of, uh, you know, I draw cartoons to to say something sometimes or, you know, educate. Yeah. And you're closing in on 30,000 followers now. Yeah, that's awesome. You're like, it is it? It doesn't seem like a lot. <laughs> it, doesn't sound, it's, it doesn't seem like that many, but that's that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Can't worry about it. My My thing wasn't to get more followers. I needed this year especially, I needed the conversation. Like I needed that for my life. I haven't seen my friends, you know, I'm not traveling for the holidays. Like things have been a little grim, you know, this year. And, but to have people who I can put it out there, like today I was just like, I'm genuinely scared about Thanksgiving. And I had people writing in and being like, me too. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, that yeah. that's helped me a lot. And like, just knowing like there's a shared community of like people who get it. Like, I don't even have to explain it. You know, they completely understand what I've gone through and have done the same or maybe even worse than like, I feel better, you know? Well, your idea of RNMD podcast, I think is. I mean, from the very beginning, I thought it was really a brilliant idea. Yeah, you were like my it's second guest, I think. I mean, I love the idea. I think it's fantastic Thank to have you. nurses talking to doctors and trying to understand what each other does. It's I'm amazed that we don't know what each other does. Me too. Yeah. They don't nurses don't even know what my schedule is and I don't know what theirs is. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, it helps to hear I mean, it helps to, you know, talk with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. We it, we're on like teams. I feel like at the hospital, and I don't know anything about like the residents that I was working with. I didn't know anything about. I didn't even really understand how often they rotated like basics like that. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this is going to end up being. I have no idea. Like I have, I'm directionless. But I'm yeah. just going to keep doing it, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um, you know, we're just trying to make sure that we're fighting the same fight, right? Like we're on the same page and we're, we just, we're losing time and energy and influence collectively by being us against them within the healthcare worker rules. Mm-hmm. So I see you really doing that work and I, I feel strongly about it the same way I've been working on that too. Yeah, definitely. Again, like I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but you know, you have to ask yourself if we have a whole hospital system and the hospital systems traditionally, they didn't run this way, right? It was more like the army and the doctor was in charge of the hospital. And now we have these Mm -hmm. people with MBAs who are in charge and blah, blah, blah. Right. Again, you have to ask yourself, is there a reason why we're separated? I mean, is that something that someone sat in a room and thought about? And I think that the answer is definitely yes. It's it's to the hospital system's benefit that we don't band together. And I think that we have strengthened numbers. So that's the goal really of this podcast is to kind of break that down and show like, hey, if we stop fighting each other, we're a giant group and we can kind of take this whole system over. So Jim and I have both been in administrative director leadership roles before. Mm-hmm. So I think we can probably speak to our experiences. And I'll go first. I haven't really... I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any 
mention of this at either hospital that I've you know been a part of administrative discussions where there is maybe lack of morale or unrest among the workers and like how best to manipulate that situation to be on top. What I have noticed is how convenient it is for administrative leadership of hospitals. I'm not talking about anybody specifically, just as a general concept. If your goal is to enforce your own way to maximize profit, fighting against unions, and making sure that everybody individually works for you and they're not like independent in control of their own work or billing or anything else, it takes away as much power as possible from each individual worker. Mm -hmm. So that is something that is problematic because each individual person is fearing for losing their job because they are hired and work directly for a hospital, for example, including physicians more and more. This is what we're seeing where like it's, it's hard to make it if you're doing inpatient medical work, if you're independent. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's, that's my thing, Jim. I don't know if you want to add to that at all or not. <laughs> you're employed in a different way than I am. So well, I, I'm blink twice employed. if you want me to change the subject. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm not quite sure. Tell me, tell me more about what you're, what you're positing here. Me? I'm actually yeah. saying that I, I have not seen a sinister sort of coordinated divide and conquer sort of approach from leadership. But I have noticed that over the years, we have sort of been fractionated up enough that it's easy to maintain the current structure the way it is. It's hard to change things. I think that probably, you know, I don't know. It depends. I think it depends on where you work and where I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I can only, I only have experience to where I've worked and I don't know, you know, there may be places that are more together and places that aren't. Yeah. I do think it, you know, at least where I work, I just think the administrators try to do the best thing, but they have different goals. And as, as Michael, you are in administration, you understand that, you know, what there's, there, if you're an administrator, it's more systems approach and different goals. Or if you're a, yeah. as a, as a clinic clinician, it's you and the patient and they're completely separate. Yeah. And the goals are different. Did they talk about profit margins when you were? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a so lot I mean, of people you, don't you know have this. To pay attention to that. They are extremely tight. Profit margins for hospitals are yeah. in the right. 1% to 5% range profit. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's a yeah. goal. Uh, sometimes, I mean, this year, basically many of them have been going negative. Now, you could say there is a system that is problematic <laughs> that should be changed. But I, I like the point that a lot of these people are just trying to fulfill their job responsibility. It's not that they're inherently evil people yeah. or anything like that. No, I don't the, think they are. No, the I place that I was most recently full-time at, the COO there, is the beating heart of that hospital. She knows what's going on, and I, I really, really trust her, and I appreciate her. And she has really made things work as best as she can. I truly respect her for it. But like I was admin and she was above me. Like, you know. I think administrators in a lot of places are trying to do the right thing. 
And so uh, when I have administrators versus, you know, healthcare workers, it's, you know, it can be, I'm sure there's some toxic places. I, I just don't, I'm not aware of it personally. I am. That it's that toxic. So if it's so great, okay, if all these administrators are looking. I'm not saying it's great. Because <laughs> what, what I just said before is that the goals are different. Mm-hmm. If you're a clinician, your goal is to do, you know, direct patient care as best you can. If you're an administrator, you want the overall patient care to be good which, which is often, you know, metric, which is not down to the individual person. And you also have to be, you know, you have to keep the hospital going. So you have to be aware of the finances, no matter whether you're profit or nonprofit, you still have to be aware of what you're doing financial where the, where the clinician, you know, is sort of aware but not in not as not as uh, detailed a way that the the financial people are yeah a lot of clinicians don't really care how much the medication costs if they think that the patient needs it for example now they don't know they don't know that's another problem but even if they're told they may just be like i don't care because this is what my patient needs right and and if you're an administrator you have to care i mean because it you know the the cost of I, i i was amazed when i was in an administrative position when the director of the pharmacy put, you know, the list of medications and how much they cost and how much the costs have gone up for some of these medications yeah. in like one year and that they were just breaking the bank. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And so you're saying, you know, when you have people, the people telling the doctors, you have to, uh, you know, you have to not use this drug and use this drug because the difference is $5,000 per, per dose, there's a good reason. My, my question would be about those kinds of, you know, those large hospital systems where you're looking at where the nurses are always short-staffed, the PCAs are always short-staffed, the patients are shuffled in and out of these rooms, they're, not, they're getting care that is sometimes could be called substandard to make a profit, right? Meanwhile, the CEO of this place is making $6 million. And you, so to me, that's where the flaw comes in. Why can't that, that fund be reallocated and put back into the system that it should serve and the patients and the staff that it should serve? Why do we have to constantly work short-staffed? Because you know that, a, a, I mean, there's studies, there's research that shows that a nurse that has too many patients the ratio is bad, there's poor patient outcomes. But that that evidence is neglected. And we actually just get more put onto our plate, more documentation, more, more. They want more out of us. And a lot of that stuff is not even necessary. Some of the stuff that we do, it's just to protect the hospital or, you know, for insurance reasons or whatever. But the bottom line is, meanwhile, they're they're squeezing every penny out of us. But then these people at the top are making these big salaries. Medicine, if medicine is designed as a for-profit system, it's inherently has built-in perverse incentives. So now changing things is going to be extremely difficult, possibly not possible, but I still feel that way. It's it's. We're starting with a flawed system if we're incentivizing profit for treating disease. 
Did you see that? I, I put it up in my story. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, the, that thing that was talking about the, I think it was Denmark, how the Denmark hospital worked. No. It was just so high tech. It was unbelievable. I can send it to you. It was, they have, it's so high tech. And, and I, I, you know, put up something and saying, we, we think we have the best medical care, but it was like, they had robots taking things everywhere. Nobody touched anything. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of like really cool. Yeah. And I'm sure that wasn't a for-profit hospital, but it looked like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have some nice for-profit hospitals, but I'm just saying it starts off with a, a built-in flaw. The, the bottom line should be patient well-being, not being corporate-wise profitable. Yeah. Although, don't you think that nonprofits still have corporate sensibilities anyway? Yeah, of course. I, uh, I, my director position was at a nonprofit hospital. Yeah. And we still work on margins. So yeah, it's identical to physicians too. They're always trying to figure out how they can get more patient encounters Mm -hmm. that are available out of us too. It's like a never ending quest to make us more produce more RVUs. How is COVID in your areas right now? I was on a planning committee for what to do if we were overwhelmed. For surge. And the hospital's full of surge. Yeah. yeah. And I was on man, it too. That, that, is, that is scary. Yeah. That is a real scary proposition. If we have to go to our, yeah. the plans that we made, we're mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not good. Are you, are you able to say <laughs> any of the scary decisions or po- protocol? Are you um, able to... I don't know. No, I don't want to put you in a tough. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Put it this way. It's using people who, you know, it's basically using specialists to do generalist jobs Mm -hmm. and the hospitals would go up and do the ICU. Exactly. People that aren't, and there's not way out of their comfort zone. Right. Well, the interesting thing that I actually have been getting from a lot of the nurses that are writing in, they're being prepped for a protocol that would make teams where the ICU nurse is overseeing floor nurses working in the ICU. So you would have like three floor nurses per one ICU. So it would be a a team of, it would be six patients and three nurses, basically, or, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And they would be like a team, and then that ICU nurse would just help them. That is a very troubling idea. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> similar to, I'm not going to speak for Jim, and I'm just going to let him protect himself here, but in terms of surge planning on the physician side that I'm familiar mm-hmm. with, there are levels of surge where you have one person that may be appropriate for the role overseeing many other people uh, that mm-hmm. that's not technically their scope of practice. And that, that includes outpatient providers at some point too, you know, that. Yeah. I, I, I think that's part would be part of all surge plans yeah. is that you're working way out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. It's still like a, basically a war military zone where. Yeah. Battlefield promotions. You know, the internist is doing surgery or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the theory, I mean, I'm like looking at, I was working on my plan and I'm just thinking, well, geez, I guess if it got that bad, then this would be my next step. And then I'm like, okay, add 20 more cases. Who, who's the next provider going to be? And I'm oh like, well, God. shit, I guess I could pull from this group. And then I'm challenging myself, okay, what's next? And what's next? And then exhaust literally anybody who has a license to make medical decisions. That, that last line or two, it's, 
just to think about it is is really scary. Yeah, very scary. Really, what what do you do? Really, that's all you can do. You I mean, you have to. What else are you gonna do? I mean, like Jim and I, the people like us, uh-huh. are going to be overseeing other people who are going to be trying their best, and we'll be trying to lend our experience and scope of practice and sort of relay it to them if it gets to that point of surge. Yeah. Frankly, I don't think we'll get to that level in most places, but you may see it in some places and that's going to be bad. Yeah. I'm just hoping it doesn't. I mean, I was worried about that in March and never got to that point. So yeah. I'm hoping yeah. it still won't get to that point again. So we'll see. Yeah. I made mine in April, I think. Yeah. So. We, we got very close to making some really tough decisions in the city. I, I never speak for my hospital system, obviously, yeah. but I know that there were places that were making decisions about who got ventilators. And I know that there was definitely, I mean, teams of, there were ICUs being run with PAs who were not critical care PAs. They were like, you know, surgical PAs. And it scares me because like you said, it's not going to be like that everywhere, right? Definitely. It is going to get bad again. How bad? I don't know. And I feel in my heart, like New York could go back. We just have such a dense population and people take public transport and it's just a very different city. So it's scary. Yeah. But I think it's just, you have to, you know, you have to do what you have to do. Right. And I know I don't want to do it, but if it comes to that, you know, we have to be prepared to do something that's really out of our comfort zone. Yeah. But as I said, it's like, it's like a military battlefield. Yeah. That the, even if you have all surgeons, they're overwhelmed and they can't do everything they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. They just do the best they can and triage the best they can. Yeah. I mean, that's and, all you could expect them to do, you know? Yeah. Abby, I'll tell you, most hospital systems have ethics groups that are meeting regularly and mm-hmm. planning out crisis care level guidance for their hospital systems. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have that. It's just at a certain point, you know, like Elmhurst is a good example, you know, when something like that happens. That, then what? Then you can you just... remind me what's what's Elmhurst? Elmhurst is a hospital in Queens, and it's kind of famous now for being the example of what you don't want to have have happen during COVID. They were boarding patients in the hallways, COVID patients, because they had zero space. They had no PPE. They had no masks. They were using masks for weeks. The nurses for weeks had the same N95. They had such a bad all the nurses were getting sick, the doctors were getting sick, and they were just completely overwhelmed. That patient population is also very different than like a Manhattan patient population. So it was everything that could have went wrong, went wrong, like from top to bottom. And then there was a traveler who actually went on to Fox News and said, that they were killing patients oh, okay. and that and now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and one of her points, I want to point this out because it irks me. One of her points was that they're not intubating anyone because they think their lives are not worth anything or something like that. And we weren't intubating, be, you know, because we realized very quickly after you see 
hundreds and thousands of COVID patients in a very short period of time, like, hey, early intubation isn't always the way to go. This is not really working. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some people that you intubate and then they die. They die. So we really tried everything we could not to intubate and that worked, you know, but yeah, she she went. She just was misinformation, like from head to toe. It was terrible. Yeah. I think we got to stop listening to, to people that are just misinformed. Yeah, yeah. The problem is the public sees that she's a. I know she's an ICU. We nurse. don't have to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I listen to all of it. Well, I know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's social media. It's for a you. problem. Yeah, it's, it's triggering though. Because yeah. again, it it's like it we is. talked about earlier. It just it feels like a betrayal. Yeah. If when the healthcare workers do yeah. it, yes, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I didn't get was this a healthcare worker? Yeah, it was, was a nurse. A I see you. Oh nurse. yeah. COVID yeah. nurse. Yeah, that's 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 a stab in the heart. Yeah. 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 And she said about the team that she was working with. That team was like very hurt. They were very betrayed. I'm always thinking about the workers, right? So. I just want to say to anyone listening who is in the trenches taking care of people, you know, COVID-related, just know that we're all thinking of you guys. Uh, And I'm sending you my best. And I wish I could be there at your side. But, you know, we're remembering this. And in the future, we are going to use these experiences to drive something better for you and for all of us. But thanks for what you do. Could not say it any better. Here, here. That includes you too, Abby. <laughs> well said. Oh, thank you guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I always love talking to you guys. My favorite MD group. How about that? Mm. That's right. <laughs> no, no. I listen. One of the whiteboards in in one of the hospitals we have. It doesn't say physician. It just says MD, and they put my name there. Sometimes, like when I'm on. I don't even care. It's yeah. it's easier. Like nurses that know me write their notes MD aware and they're talking mm-hmm. about me. All good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, any topics you'd like to submit, please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to our Instagram account, which is rnmdpodcast, or my personal Instagram account is the nocturnal nurse. Um, If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. We need the love right now. We're just getting started. Also, if you have any suggestions um, of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.